Luke chapter six is where we are picking up. Uh, and we find now um, the next little bit of uh, a, a narrative here that is a chunk that is kind of connected to this increasing frequency uh, with Jesus having a run-in with uh, the religious leaders, with his fame growing, with his popularity growing, uh, so much so that it now appears that uh, he has a bit of an audience um, in the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who it seems like were kind of keeping an eye on him wherever he went. Uh, in our passage of this morning, Jesus is walking about uh, through this particular region, just traveling, and in the middle of that, uh, we, we find that he, we can't, uh, we, we get the insight here that he is being watched, that he, they are, uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they always have uh, their eyes fixed on him, and, and so we, this is, this is kind of the, the continuation of that, and we see that uh, what Jesus and his disciples do in the midst of uh, this observation by religious people. And, and the first thing that I want you to see here is that uh, Jesus, his followers, his disciples, uh, they do not uh, reorient their lives in a way to make it easier on themselves based on uh, the observation of these uh, legalistic religious leaders. They uh, continue to try to obey the Lord as best as they can. Uh, they walk with Jesus. They follow his lead wherever he goes, even if uh, they know that religious people are watching. He, he's, they are not concerned with trying to figure out how to do it in the best way so people won't get upset about it. They simply want to obey and work easily with Jesus. And so uh, we find that this uh, confidence that Jesus has, uh, it is uh, given to his disciples. They follow him, they watch him, they walk with him, and they don't question what's happening here, uh, but they simply follow his lead. And and I think that that's a, a good encouraging word as we come to our text this morning, uh, as it opens up to be reminded uh, that there are all sorts of people who are always watching us, who are always looking at our lives. Um, and, and when it's particularly religious people, uh, when it's people who are um, wanting us to live a specific way, that's, that's fine that they're watching, but we want to be faithful to Jesus, not trying to just make people happy, because oftentimes that takes us away from being straightforwardly obedient to Jesus as much as uh, we possibly can be. Now, and of course, uh, the ways that Jesus's followers are obedient is in keeping with his word. Um, and so uh, they have the ability to do this. Um, and, and so this is kind of the, the exhortation um, that I want to give to you as we come to the text this morning and kind of the thing that is underlying uh, some of the actions that we will observe this morning. But um, let's look at what takes place here as Jesus and his disciples travel a little bit. First, we look at the context, the setting, what's happening here. Uh, we're told by Luke that this is the Sabbath. We read this in verse 1. On a Sabbath, not a particular one, just a Sabbath, this is the context that we're running into, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. So Jesus and his boys, they are traveling, they are walking through, it's the Sabbath, uh, and uh, instead of going around 
a uh, a field here. Uh, they kind of uh, come up along the edges of it. They come up uh, through a portion of it. And as they're walking, the disciples are like hungry. They're, um, you know, they want to get something to eat. And so they begin picking uh, little pieces, uh, little kernels off of this grain field and are kind of smashing them together in their fingers and eating and just kind of grazing as they move through. And so, uh, you know, who knows how long they've been on their journey, who knows how long they've been walking for, but clearly they've worked up a little bit of an appetite and there's an opportunity here. And so they are uh, eating, they're kind of coming together to enjoy this uh, little snack as they pass through. And so uh, this is the situation, but Luke notes for us, and this will be a continuing theme uh, throughout uh, the coming weeks where this takes place on a particular day, uh, namely the Sabbath. This takes place on the Sabbath. So on a Sabbath is how it begins. Um, this day that would have been dedicated in Jewish society and culture, a day of rest where all Jewish people were supposed to cease from labor. They were to stop working. They were to uh, cease their efforts um, in physical labor, uh, especially. And this day would begin at Friday on uh, sunset, and it would go until sunset on Saturday. So kind of like Friday night to Saturday night. It's kind of the, the window. And, and, and so this was a day that was highly observed within uh, the Jewish uh, week, within the Jewish calendar. It was observed by uh, all sorts of people um, here, but uh, this day in particular has roots that go back much further. Uh, this is the day of the Sabbath is, of course, a part of the Ten Commandments. Uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, it was established in the, in the Ten Commandments there uh, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 8. It says that, and then also we read, continuing on in verse nine, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, <clears throat> and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, here we find that this is listed out as a commandment, something that's a part of the law, something that's a part of uh, Israel's culture that they ought to obey. But this law is uh, comes about as a, uh, a reflection of uh, the divine Sabbath, a reflection of abstaining from uh, work in a reenactment of the original Sabbath, which took place in creation. And so the Sabbath is actually rooted in creation. It's, it's the only one of, uh, of the Ten Commandments that is rooted in something uh, in, that is at creation. And we read this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of and all the hosts of them. <coughs> and on the seventh day, 
God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So after working in creating all things, after putting um, his creativity to work out of bringing something out of nothing over the course of this period of time, we find on the seventh day, God rests. We're told that he completes his work uh, in the seventh day. Uh, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So it is finished. He rests. And he blessed it and says that the seventh day, that work of finishing, is made holy. And so he uh, practices this, and he stops working and does not continue with creation. Now, does that mean that uh, God stopped because uh, he had become tired, he had become exhausted, he had run out of creativity, there was nothing more for him to do? Uh, does it mean that, that he didn't have any energy left and could not quite possibly go on, so he needed a break? But after uh, the six days and you know wrapping up here and resting on the seventh day, okay, and then we'll start again? Uh, no, what, what he's getting at here in this text is that God rests at this particular moment in creation because he is so thoroughly satisfied with his work that it could be left alone. It could be finished. He didn't need to add to it, but he could look at it. He could be so thoroughly happy with what has been accomplished that he could be say, say, uh, this work has been finished. I can now rest. I don't need to return to this. I don't need to go back to this any further. It has been accomplished. And so there's nothing else for him to do because he has met the standard by which he set forth. He's completely satisfied with it. And he finishes his work and then rests. He, it's this idea of nothing left to accomplish, that it is finished, that he can be in a place where uh, there's no longer anything that needs to be done. And so this is connected to uh, the Ten Commandments uh, there. Uh, that we ought to reflect that same divine rest, uh, that Sabbath rest that God participates in. We also ought to be like God in that. And so throughout history, uh, the people of Israel have always been told that this is what they have to practice. Now, of course, if you give uh, any sort of uh, instruction to religious people, everybody starts to freak out and not want to do it uh, incorrectly. And so uh, instead of understanding that it has to it, it's speaking to uh, an idea of uh resting and, and not continuing the work uh these uh religious people have brought upon themselves the uh the explicit task of outlining which things were or were not allowed and so there began to be a bunch of uh, a collection of extra biblical commands uh, given by religious teachers at this time. The rabbis had uh, kind of a collection of these things in, in something that they called the Mishnah, uh, and it was kind of like rules for life and how to live. And uh, there were 39 classes 
of work that would uh, be considered that we're, we're breaking the Sabbath. And in those 39 classes, there were, um, there were obvious ones, like things that you shouldn't do, that were quite obviously like hard, heavy, dedicated work. Like you shouldn't go out and uh, launch like an entire agricultural, you know, venture, begin plowing fields and building houses and going out on like long distance hunting and you know, butchering, like, uh, you know, things for the week. Uh, but, and those ones make sense. Like those require a lot of effort, a lot of dedication, a lot of preparation. And clearly uh, that is something that would not be uh, connected to the same type of uh, resting that were outlined by uh, God in uh, Exodus. Um, and clearly you don't see, you see God resting from those things in Genesis chapter two. But then there were other ones that were quite a bit more ridiculous, and, and they had narrowed these things down to uh, be very precise. There were things like you weren't allowed to tie or, or um, loosen knots. Uh, you couldn't sew more than one stitch. You couldn't write more than one letter. These are things that were, consider were considered work. Uh, you were not allowed to carry children. Uh, you couldn't, if, you're, if your uh, livestock were giving birth to animals, you couldn't help them. Um, if an animal of yours had fallen into uh, a pit or, you know, uh, uh, um, or like a, a ditch, you couldn't, you couldn't help them out. Uh, you, you couldn't uh, cultivate or plow, but it got even more nuanced than that because, uh, you know, they would say, okay, well, uh, if you had to, um, if you had to spit out like saliva, you could spit on a rock because that would just be falling there and it wouldn't produce anything. But if you spit in the dirt, your spit might ball up and it might make a little line and that would be considered plowing. So you weren't allowed to spit in the dirt, but you could spit on a rock. Like it got like crazy nuanced for some sort of thing that I don't think God is wondering if we're spitting on a rock or spitting in the dirt and plowing accidentally by our spit rolling a little bit. Like that's not the point of uh, the Sabbath. But these religious teachers, these rabbis, they made it a goal to set a rule for every possible instance. It was uh, a part of the, uh, their, their practice to try to come up with a rule for every single moment, every single instance that one might encounter. Um, and the only thing that you, that you were allowed to do really was um, you could do work that was absolutely necessary to save a life, to preserve a life. You could save someone's life, uh, but you couldn't help them beyond that. So like if you had the ability to uh, like rescue somebody from drowning, you could do that work. Uh, but uh, if somebody had a dislocated elbow or an arm or a shoulder, you couldn't do that on the Sabbath. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, relieve discomfort. You could only save a life. But if it wasn't life-threatening, you, you, uh, you weren't allowed to participate in it. And so this is how incredibly nuanced it got. It got super technical uh, for reasons that they thought were important. But as you come to the text, we find here that these uh, incredibly stingy rules were being applied now to the disciples. And this is what happens. This is why Luke notes for us the actions of the disciples as they were going through the field. So look back at verse one, and we look at it now with a new context, new insight, new understanding. 
on the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some grains of head, rubbing them in their hands. So there's a plucking, there's an eating, there's a rubbing that's happening here. Uh, and so the Pharisees, they make a big deal out of this, and they say, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So first off, according to uh, the law, according to the book of Deuteronomy, you could pass through fields that did not belong to you and gather food for your journey. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 24, uh, we read this. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck uh, the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So anything that you walk through and you could grab off a little bit to eat as you went, fine. But you can't just go into your, your neighbor's field and bring your tools and start harvesting all of their stuff and stacking it up in your bag like that wasn't allowed. Uh, you could do what you could personally eat, what you could personally carry, which totally makes sense. This was uh, primarily to provide for those who were weary on journeys. This was primarily to provide for uh, those who uh, were uh, on the poorer end of the economic spectrum and could not provide for themselves. They always had the opportunity to go out into any field and take whatever they wanted to eat, whatever they could eat while they were there. Uh, this was an opportunity to provide for them, to give, uh, give sustenance to those people. And so... The disciples are out here doing this. They are uh, eating of the grain in the field. Um, they're out there just grabbing this food and uh, just eating as they're walking through. Uh, and this is not necessarily the problem that the Pharisees couldn't get them on that, but they were able to get them on what they considered to be unlawful uh, Sabbath activity. The disciples plucked some grains, they rubbed the kernels in their, their hands, they ate them. And so uh, for the Pharisees, the plucking of the grain, they considered that to be work because it was a harvesting operation. And then if you rub the grain uh, in your hands, that was a threshing operation. You were uh, beginning the work of putting friction there to separate the little wheat kernel from, from the chaff. And then that became a winnowing uh, as the, as the, the chaff fell away that became became a winnowing operation. And then on top of that, uh, you were, uh, that was a double work because you were also preparing food because you ate that. So this is like a fourfold uh, violation of their uh, Sabbath laws that they have put out. They, the disciples uh, were, were breaking their Sabbath rules in that they were harvesting, they were threshing, they were winnowing, and they were preparing food. So four things that they're trying to get them on here. They, they're following them around for, for this exact purpose. And they come at the disciples uh, and in Jesus, and they say, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why are you doing this? Why are you guys violating the Sabbath? Don't you care about it? Don't you, uh, don't you think it's important to observe? So Jesus he understands what's happening here, and he responds to them with a question, which is really like a rebuke slash comical, like rebuke question uh, that he comes at them with. He answered them, verse three, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, he tells these guys, 
maybe you guys have heard of this story. I'm not sure if you have or not. Have if you guys ever heard of this story before? Uh, of course, of course, they've heard of this story. They're the Pharisees. They're like the most nitpicky bunch of all. Like, there's nobody who's more nitpicky than this group of people. They're Israel. They're like some of Israel's teachers. Of course, they've heard of this story. But Jesus comes at them and says, "Have you not read this this one particular story? Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and and, and there were those who were with him?" Of course, the Pharisees are familiar with, with this story. Of course, the, sto- the Pharisees are familiar with this account about David. They know the story. They exalt David. David is, is raised up high within the Jewish culture, the Jewish life. He is uh, put on a pedestal. He is somebody who is seen as a great king, somebody to uh, aspire to be like. They know the story but they missed the point. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He goes on to elaborate for them about this story, uh, a story that all of you uh, Bible scholars would be familiar with as we've just gone through the book of 1 Samuel not too long ago. Uh, And he asked them to recall this story from 1 Samuel 21. Remember when David is on this secret mission, quote unquote, when he's in reality, he's running for his life from King Saul, who's trying to kill him. And he's been on the run for uh, so long. He's just super worn down. He's super tired. He's extremely famished. And David is starving. He's desperate for food. And he goes to the priest's on the Sabbath and asks for uh, the showbread, the bread of the presence, the 12 loaves of bread that were placed next to the altar as food for the priests. It was only for the priests. It was only dedicated to them. And Jesus remarks as uh, much when he says that this, this food was unlawful for David to eat, but yet the priests give it to David. The priests entrust this bread to him uh, and they. Uh, allow this meal to sustain David and his men in a great time of need. Now, if you recall from our time in 1 Samuel, when we looked at this story, the idea, the point of the showbread was to be a reminder in the tabernacle, to be a reminder in the house of the Lord of a witness to God's presence with his people, that he will always sustain his people and supply their daily needs. This was a a visible presence, a visible reminder there that that this would be for them. And so in 1 Samuel 21, this bread that is laid out there, if you recall, on the table that was uh, the holy bread that was meant for use and service, in that moment, the priest senses that this is an opportunity for God to sustain his people as this bread represents and to provide for his people. So the holy bread in that particular moment is understood by the priest to now be, this is the sustaining bread, David's daily bread to keep him alive. He knows that the point of this bread is not just to sit there and leave the uh, the need of this a hungry person, uh, unmet, but rather the point of this is a reminder that God always provides for his people. And so the priests give this bread to David. And in this moment here, uh, the King David, uh, I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have been the king at this point, but he would become the king. He would have been committing, according to the Pharisees, a much greater transgression than 
simply uh, doing something uh, unlawful on the Sabbath. He uh, is taking holy bread and using it in his regular life to sustain himself. Uh, and so he wasn't blamed for it by this priest. Uh, in fact, David was given this bread by the keepers of the law, the priests, the one who were executing the law daily. And so as Jesus rolls out this story to the Pharisees, he's bringing this uh, to, the, to the forefront of this conversation for a couple reasons. One, he's putting the Pharisees in a bit of a dilemma here. He says, if, if you want to be right, Pharisees, about the Sabbath here, if you want to be, be arguing uh, with us about these nuances of the Sabbath, if you want to be right, that's fine. But that means then that David and his men would be guilty here. The people that you hold up, uh, they would be seen as being guilty. Now, the problem for the Pharisees is that uh, the text does not bring into question uh, David's actions, and it doesn't say that he did anything sinful. Uh, the, the priests are the one who, who enable this. And so do they really want to challenge David? Do they really want to challenge uh, the priests in the Old Testament, uh, Ahimelech there? Do they really want to be like, yo, these guys were off their rocker as well? That's opening up another, uh, a, a, a bigger issue. And so Jesus cites this story uh, not in a way to seek an exception, to be like, okay, well, you should let me do this because of, of, of what happened there. But rather, he uses this story with David to set a precedent, to say, look what has been established already. You're acting out of character with what has already been established. This is not about keeping the rules. This is about understanding God's provision for his people in particular times, in particular moments. The ceremonial restrictions of the law are to defer to human need when there is that need. The law should not restrict people in their, uh, in their very basic tasks but what it should do, it should encourage God's people to keep the day holy, to find the things that are within the structure of the Sabbath that you might be tempted to do and give your time to that would put you apart from God, apart from relying on him, apart from, uh, from seeking first his kingdom, apart from building your identity in him, you ought to assess what these things are and uh, put yourself in a position to uh, try to make the day holy as best as possible. And so what Jesus does is he shows us here in our text that it's possible to, uh, to participate in various acts on the Sabbath that are there for the purpose of meeting our basic human needs. We've got to eat. We've got to go about our day. We've got to rest. But this is an idea. The, day, the idea of the Sabbath is a ceasing from striving, from working hard. From uh, Remember, the point of it is to uh, reflect God's character, that we are satisfied in him as he has been satisfied with his work. It's about recognizing that God is the one who will provide. And he's provided for Jesus and the disciples through these leftover grains 
that are out here as they're walking through on the Sabbath, that they're able to pinch off some of these things as they're on their journey with Jesus. Now, it would have been a different story if Jesus was like, hey, all these guys left this out here and I found a great field. Let's like, you know, nobody else is working today. So let's take advantage of it. Let's like spin up a whole agricultural system right here. And we're going to just take all this grain and we'll figure out how to take advantage of it because everybody else is just sitting on their laurels today and they're not doing anything. So we're going to put in the extra work. Jesus is saying the point here is that we're not doing that. We're not trying to say, hey, everybody else is resting. We're going to we're going we're gonna to be the early bird who's going to try to get the worm in this moment here. We're going we're gonna to be the ones who are working on that seventh day where everybody else is taking it off. No, the point here is for Jesus to say, be with me and have your basic needs taken care of as you move throughout your day. You don't need to strive to get ahead because God is your provider. You don't need to strive to make a path because God is the one who will see you through. God is the one who will open the doors. Whether you put in the work or whether you don't put in the work on that day, if you are giving those things over to him, he's the one who's going to open or close the doors and no amount of effort on your behalf is going to prevent him uh, or enable him to give you what he wants to give you. He is going to lead you in. And so it's an opportunity for us to recognize that and rest in him, to trust in him and to say, God, you've got this. You're doing the work and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to spend time uh, letting you do that work. And so we find here that in this particular moment, Jesus uses this to set a precedent with the Pharisees, to put this in place so that they might understand that their attitude, their heart is wrong, that they are looking at this incorrectly. So much so that he now uh, brings out a statement that is incredibly shocking to the Pharisees and to all who hear it. In verse 5, he finishes after setting this precedent with these words. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is his favorite nickname for himself uh, that would have had messianic connotations. It would have uh, said that he is the anointed one uh, and would have uh, made an explicit claim that he is coming uh, with God's full endorsement, of course. But then he goes on and he makes uh, another claim that stands over this claim. So he takes his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man, and then he makes uh, this statement. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So look what Jesus is doing. If you recall, as we talked about earlier, in Genesis chapter 2, God is the one who instituted the Sabbath. He's the one who started the Sabbath after creation. He's the one who created and then rested and made it holy and called it good. And here, Jesus makes explicit claims to what belongs to God. He uh, says, I have preeminence over the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath, uh, as originally intended by God, um, cannot be understood, Jesus gets at here, by Moses. It's not about understanding it through the law. You can't go to Exodus and look at it and be like, okay, I know what the, I know what the, what the Sabbath is supposed to be about. Because in Exodus, it cites Genesis, right? The 
it can't be uh, understood correctly through looking at the rabbinic uh, uh, traditions that come after Moses. It has to be looked at prior to the law. It has to be understood in Genesis. And so when Jesus says this, he's going back to Genesis. It can only be understood through that opening chapter. And so he says, I am the one who has preeminence over that day. It can only be understood through Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is making an explicit claim here. He's not just saying, I am the anointed one. I'm not just the son of man, but I am Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, Lord of the Sabbath, <clears throat> he uses a title that he uses in other places here when he says Lord. It's this Greek word kyrios, which, which is often used whenever you, I mean, quite frequently used when you see the word Lord popped up there. Uh, and it has a couple different meanings. But in this particular case, in this particular moment, what it means is that uh, it, it is someone uh, uh, to whom a person or thing belongs, like the owner of something. So when Jesus says uh, that he is Lord of the Sabbath, what he means here is that he is the owner of the Sabbath, that he owns it, that it belongs to him. Not just that it's something that is for everybody else, but he's the administrator of. It's not just that this is a public entity, the Sabbath, and people can have different ways that they want to run their Sabbath, but he has his own particular way where he is a Lord of the Sabbath. No, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the owner of the Sabbath that belongs to him. Jesus had given the Sabbath in the first place, he was the creator. And so he had the authority to decide what was allowed and what was not allowed on the day. He is the owner of the Sabbath. And so in this particular moment, he's saying, it belongs to me. This is mine. I am the one who owns the Sabbath. But more than that, what you'll recall from Genesis chapter two is that this was God resting. This was about God resting. If, if you look back there quickly in Genesis chapter 2, we read these words. <clears throat> On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So three times you get this repetition of the word rest there. And that's exactly what the, what, what the Sabbath means. The word Sabbath actually means that it is, uh, it, it's connected to this idea of being a deep, deep rest, a deep peace. It's uh, the, the feeling there of, uh, of that, uh, of everything being set right and satisfied in the perfect place. And so when Jesus says that he is uh, Lord of the Sabbath, he's not Lord over the Sabbath, right? There's a turn of phrase there that is important. He is 
Lord of the Sabbath, not Lord over. He's not administrating it. He's the owner of it. But not only that, he is the source of that rest, the source of the Sabbath. It belongs to him. Apart from Jesus, you cannot have that rest. When So when he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying clearly that he is the Sabbath. He is the source of the deep rest that the Pharisees need. He is the source of deep rest that the disciples need. He is the source of deep rest that we need. That's why uh, this begins in the book of Genesis. That's why this is connected back to creation. Because creation has been perverted through our sin. It has been corrupted through our sin. And so we're working to get back to a place where things are in chaos. We're moving from chaos back into a place of rest. We're moving from a place where things are in motion, are, are falling apart and corrupted to a place of, of deep rest. We're getting back to that place where God rested, not because he was tired, but because he was completely satisfied with his work. And, and, and in our lives, when the work of God becomes so complete uh, at the cross, when we are able to, to see that done rightly, when we understand that Jesus has lived a perfect life in our place, when we see that he lived in our, uh, a life substituting ours and paid for our sin at the cross, it is able then to be declared by him there that it is finished. The work is complete. He is at rest. And when he is at rest, then we are newly created. Creation is complete. The work is done. And we have now a way for us to enter back into that rest. This is ultimately what Jesus is getting at here when he makes this grand statement. I am Lord of the Sabbath. It belongs to him. There's no rest apart from him, that he is the culmination of the entirety of the deep rest that we all seek. Everybody's tired from this year, but you know what's going to happen? We're going to get out on the other side of the pandemic where everyone's going to go back to work and everyone's going to be tired again. And the only way that you're not going to be tired is when you stop striving, when you stop trying to hustle, and when you trust and obey, when you rest in the finished work of Christ. This is how we are able to survive. This is how we are able to be at rest. Because Christ is able to be our rest, our deep uh, rest that we so seek, that we desperately need. He doesn't want us to be under the burden of the law. Uh, he knew that we would not be able to fulfill the law. Everyone's been trying to justify themselves from the very beginning. But Jesus allows us to be at rest through his work. This is why he speaks to uh, his followers in Matthew 11, verse uh, 28. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is that peace. He is that rest. He is the thing that, that we are longing for. He knows everyone's exhausted. He knows everyone's tired. And there's no rest except for to come under him. And so this is why he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we find that in Christ, the culmination of our true rest, we find in him the culmination of that true peace that we seek. We find that he uh, accomplished this work on our behalf. He had accomplished our salvation. He cried out, it is finished, so that we might enter into that rest again. And so as God's new people, we move now to celebrating the Sabbath, not on Saturday at the end of the week, like was previously uh, celebrated on, but we move now to the beginning of the week, Sunday, because all things begin for the Christian and end with resting in Jesus. We've got these two back-to-back -back days, the Sabbath of what it used to be, where our rest begins there at, uh, uh, um, in the structure of new creation, and then it re-begins in recreation and the renewal of all things at the resurrection. We find a new rest that is given to us. And as you trace these things out, you see that in the New Testament, there are glimpses ultimately culminating in a rest for the people of God. This is what we are called into. This is why Jesus says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. This is not just a fun statement of posturing and telling these guys like, hey, like you don't even know who you're talking to. Don't talk to me. And it is bound up all of this historical information, all of these uh, claims about his divinity, all of these claims about his love and care for his people, all of the claims of the history of God trying to provide this rest for people. He's not posturing. He's not trying to be a jerk. He's not trying to throw something out there as a quick statement. He's trying to bring an invitation. He's trying to remind us that you can go and do your own thing. That's fine if you want to do that. But you're going to keep spinning your wheels. You're going to be working hard. You're going to be exhausted. But when you come to Jesus, you're truly going to find what you need. Because he is our Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. There is no rest apart from him. It doesn't exist because he's the owner of it. You're not going to find it with another owner. There is no other owner. He's the one to whom it belongs. And he liberally gives it to his people, to all who would come to him. He says, I will take your burdens. I will take your worries. I will take your cares. I will take those things on me. And that you can receive the rest that I intended for you to have. So come and be satisfied in me, Christian. Come and reorient your life around me. Find a way to rest in me. And in doing so, we honor the Lord's work. We bring him glory. We recognize that what he has done is better than what we could ever offer. And it causes us to respond wholeheartedly to him. And so this isn't just a story about a bunch of guys walking through a field, grazing and trying to get a little snack. That's what it seems like it's on the face of it. But it's really a story about Jesus making an incredible claim about how we can be at peace with man and with God when we trust in him for salvation as he's made that way. Let's pray and we'll respond together. Lord, we are so grateful for 
your enduring love for us, for your patience with us. We're so grateful that you work in our lives in such a way that you are proactively moving towards us, even when we're not aware, even when we are a people who are like the Pharisees who get bogged down in the, the small details about, can we do this or can we do that? Or can we, is this okay? Or is that okay? When the whole time, what we should be asking is how can I get a little bit more time with Jesus? How can I spend a little bit more time with him? How can I know him more deeply? And so Lord, bring us to a place where we're not just trying to check off the boxes or we're not just trying to work through the rhythm of things and getting into things as a formula, but where we are pursuing you wholeheartedly uh, each day when we are, where we can be living um, in step with your spirit and relying on you for your provision, for your empowering. And for you to speak to us uh, as you will. We're thankful that you love to speak to your children, that you love to meet us where we're at, and that you're more than willing to overcome our laziness, our short-sightedness, our lack of caring. At the slightest bit of interest that we show, you're right there to speak to us. You're ready to to commune with us. And so Lord, turn our hearts ever more towards you. Um, to be walking with you, to be seeing where you're going. But remind us of that deep rest that we can have in you. We're so thankful for your provision. And so Lord, we ask that you would Deepen our love for you, Jesus. We do love you. Amen.